HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to this special presentation from Snacky Tunes. What you're about to hear is an episode of Rice, a new podcast hosted by Eric Bruner Yang, best known as chef owner of Maketo. Rice will be regularly broadcast on Full Service Radio in spring 2017. Full Service Radio will be a brand new podcast network broadcasting from Washington, D.C., run by Heritage Radio Network's Jack Inslee. Until then, enjoy the special preview from us on Snacky Tunes. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Hey, what's going on? This is Eric Brunner Yang, guesting for Snacky Tunes. Uh, we are currently recording in Cambodia in Phnom Penh, um, and we have a wonderful guest today. I know typically you guys are used to listening to chefs or talking about food, but as everyone knows, uh, food goes hand in hand with all arts, including architect design, etc. Um, and we have a great guest today. I'm going to let him do his own introduction um, and talk a little bit about himself. All right. Uh, hi, Eric. Um, my name is Christopher Rompre. Uh, I'm a filmmaker based in Phnom Penh, but uh, who works in lots of different areas of the world, uh, mostly focusing on sort of social issues and development issues. Um, over the last two or three years, I've been sort of focusing on a documentary about an architect in Cambodia, a famous architect who, during the 50s and 60s, sort of defined uh, a lot of, um, of sort of what what the sort of uh, post-colonial identity of Cambodia was going to be uh, in the 50s and 60s using sort of his own unique brand of, uh, of modernist architecture. Um, I don't know how much you want. You no, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you sound great. Um, but uh, yeah, basically uh, that's been a fascinating journey. It, it started off as sort of something this little weekend project and has sort of evolved into this sort of all-consuming uh, film cultural collaboration where we ended up working with all kinds of different people, uh, Cambodians, international architects, um, and it's sort of taken us on this wild ride. Um, and now we're, we're finished the film and just getting ready to sort of uh, put it out to the world and, and most importantly show it here in, in Cambodia. So the name of the film is The Man Who Built Cambodia, right? Yes. And I, I want to say that this is probably the, the most exciting trailer <laughs> of 2016 because that trailer was like, 
I was like, Jason Statham is gonna pop out in the middle of this trailer <laughs> and and do and do a fight scene. Um, so, uh, what is the name of this architect? Uh, so the architect's name is Van Molly Van. And uh, actually, just speaking of that trailer, it, it's been kind of interesting because the trailer. The funny thing about making a trailer is that you sort of piece together this little sort of uh, taster and it's uh, our trailer we actually put together as more of like a pitch trailer to get funding for the project so um, uh, so many people sort of know our film through this trailer but we've yeah. like filmed so much more and the, and the whole project sort of evolved and changed and uh, um, it's you know it's it's easy to put together like a little teaser uh, that, that really grabs people's attention but then that sort of created this enormous amount of anticipation uh, for a film that we had not yet made so um, it was actually the trailer that really sort of made us realize that we'd like caught a tiger by the tail and suddenly we had people you know calling us up from the Cambodian government and Cambodian arts uh, organizations and international uh, architects were calling us and like oh you guys are the ones making the film about this man and we kind of realized that his legacy and his um, his impact uh, both on Cambodia and architecture was a lot sort of broader and, and more important than we had thought. So uh, it sort of was humbling and a bit, you know, uh, I mean, frankly, you know, made us uh, put like a bit of the fear of God in us, you know. Um, yeah, so the trailer was great and that helped us get, get the project going, but um, then you got to follow through. Um, so, what, so what are the, um, so basically, you know, some, name some of the buildings, some of the most famous bu- modern buildings that he designed and had built. Yeah, so basically um, Phnom Penh uh, in the early 50s when Cambodia gained independence was pretty much sort of defined by French colonial architecture. There was these wide avenues, a lot of sort of, you know, the classic sort of French colonial style that sort of defined a lot of uh, Southeast Asia. Um, And so Van Molyvan came back uh, fresh from having studied modernist architecture in Paris, um, you know, really being inspired by guys like... uh, uh, Gropius and uh, Le Corbusier and uh, Frank Lloyd Wright and all these guys um, and so he sort of wanted to you know develop something that that took uh, you know some of the sort of ideas of, of and, and concepts of modernist architecture but sort of adapted it to a very local Cambodian context which is hot, flood prone um, you know much sort of lower smaller in scale and lower to the ground uh, compared to, you know, some of the sort of iconic modernist buildings of, of Europe were very sort of vertical and very imposing. He, he sort of wanted to soften it and sort of uh, do it in a more, I guess, sort of um, environmentally sort of a, I'm, I'm trying to find my words here, but in a way that sort of went uh, in symbiosis with the environment, you know, right. Cambodia is a flat country. Yeah. Uh, and very flood-prone and, and sort of water-based, and so he wanted to sort of create a modernist architecture that was sort of horizontal and very sort of in tune with the flow of water and the flow of air. And yeah, and if, and if you haven't traveled to Cambodia, uh, and, you, and, and just to kind of give you an idea of what uh, um, something that is very typical here, even if you're going from the farmer level to the middle-class level to kind of the, you know, the wealthier people, um, everything kind of starts with these kind of um, houses that are built kind of maybe five, ten, five to eight feet built mm-hmm. off the ground. And these homes, um, you know, they, it's a, it's kind of like a kind of a place where everyone kind of gathers mm-hmm. in these kind of like areas um, that are built kind of on structural stilts, essentially, right? 
Um, and on the farming level, you see a lot of people kind of napping or doing cooking or different things in these areas, that kind of like common areas, mm-hmm. I think is a good way to say it. And then they put their bedrooms and stuff, um, you know, uh, on the main platform. Um, and this is because of, you know, most of the issues of this being kind of a flood-prone country mm-hmm. uh, with really heavy rain seasons or big bursts of quick rain. Um, but then you get to the middle-class level, and these end up becoming... Um, you know, they become fancier, but it's the same conceptually. Um, now it's like it's all in concrete, but most of the common area family gathering happens in these first five, you know, this first area, and then all the bedrooms are on mm-hmm. this platform. Am I, that's correct, yeah? Yeah, yeah, and then, I mean, the other advantage is that it creates uh, a sort of area underneath the house that's shaded and full of, you know, it's got this beautiful airflow, and so correct. often, like, the main social space of the house during the day is just people hanging out underneath the house. Yep. Um, and it's only really like in the evening that people sort of retreat back up into the into the rooms kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so how many total buildings? I, I was looking at a list, but maybe something like 20 or so really big architectural buildings or so he had designed and built, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, so Van Molle Van designed a huge number of buildings, um, both in Sienukville, Siem Reap, Phnom Penh. He also, you know, in his later part of, in, in the later part of his career, he ended up doing a lot of urban planning and sort of designing whole sections of Phnom Penh. Um, But yeah, really sort of there are a number of sort of standout buildings that really, I think, sort of contributed to the pantheon of modernist architecture that sort of stand today still as as buildings that people study and and look at. Um, So, I mean, you know, the the sort of the most prominent and least sort of uh, typical building of his is the Independence Monument, which which was one of his first uh, first commissions. and, And that is much more traditional in, in style, but sort of, you know, every Cambodian knows that Van Molle Van designed this sort of uh, giant sort of uh, stupa-like structure that stands right at the center of the city. Um, but it was really buildings like the, the National Stadium, which um, is this incredible sort of uh, adapted structure that sort of flows from one function to another um, and is sort of uh, uses natural earth. Um, terracing to sort of accomplish a lot of its architectural goals. Uh, there's uh, the Senate building with all these sort of interesting ways to channel water and, uh, and, and sort of use reflected surfaces to create light without any electricity. Um, there's, you know, I mean, there's, there's tons of buildings. Yeah, the Institute yeah. of Foreign Languages. Um, and he was really prominent in kind of creating these like ventilating moats Correct, to exactly. kind of cool these these huge concrete buildings down by creating these areas that would capture water exactly. uh, and store the water as a way to cool down the buildings in, in this heat. Yeah, so I mean, you you especially see this in uh, the National Stadium design where you have these beautiful sort of moats at the bottom like surrounding the whole sort of indoor stadium area. They also act as flood overflow and those moats themselves overflow into sort of flood ponds. Um, so the whole building basically sort of breathes water. Like, it, you know, when, when it's dry, the water is pooled there to keep the building cool. But then when it pours rain, all these sort of collection ponds sort of act as a flood protector. Um, you also have, you know, sort of all these design elements that allow natural lights to sort of uh, filter into the indoor spaces and also allow air to flow. It's like the building basically even today pretty much has almost like a zero... Uh, electric footprint, like it basically cools itself. It, it you know, and this is still a 
high-functioning stadium. I mean, they just had the Cambodia versus Taiwan game there. Exactly. 60,000 people yep. went and attended the stadium. So this isn't like a, a stadium that um, no one's going to. It's mm-hmm. perfectly functioned. So um, so Van Molivan is still the greatest living architect. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously uh, people have subjective opinions, but I think, you know, almost... Here in this country. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty hard, hard to doubt that he's, yeah. he's a preeminent architect in, um, in, in Cambodia. But history. it seems like at this point in time, the government um, may or may not be so enthralled with that idea. Is that correct? Well, uh, I mean, there's so much to unpack. That's a very loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's, there's, there's the pressures on Ben Molivan's buildings, um, you know, in many ways because... Uh, He's got prime real estate. Yeah, his buildings were built, you know, right along the riverfront and in key areas of the city. Um, and, you know, essentially people want to build uh, on all, of, all available spaces they can find. Um, and so, you know, you have, for example, the National Stadium still stands, but it's being surrounded by sort of condo buildings, shopping centers... Uh, all of the flood pools I just mentioned have basically been filled in yep. uh, to build condos on. Um, you know, you've got uh, sort of social housing projects that he built um, that essentially were designed for like middle class families back in the 60s and today are sort of lower, low income uh, housing. housing. And yeah, they're, they're in key parts of the city where people want to build. Um, so there's that, there's that pressure. Uh, but there's also sort of a political legacy aspect to it where I think um, Ben Molivan's been very outspoken about the kind of development that we've seen right. since uh, the end of the Khmer Rouge and the Civil War in the, in the 90s. Um, and I think to a certain degree, the government today would like the narrative to be that, that Cambodia essentially sort of started from nothing in the 90s, that like everything that, that Cambodia is today. Yeah. yeah, so so Van Molivan is sort of just conflicts with that narrative, basically. It's like he's, he's to, like, for example, the, the title of my film I know is offensive to certain people in the government because they want the man who built Cambodia to be Hun Sen, not yes. to be Ben Moly Correct. Um, so you have the two things. You have this pressure to develop and take up, those, take up the land that those buildings are on, combined with the government not really being too keen on sort of upholding and preserving the legacy of this architect anyway. Um, well, they'll never be able to take down Independence Monument. Yeah, so that's true. will be less one thing. Um, yeah. One of the things I want to touch about is, um, as a guy that's kind of embraced himself in Cambodian culture here um, and has kind of studied kind of development and architecture mm-hmm. and most of your background also on social issues, is, you know, what do you think Phnom Penh is going to be like in the next few years? For Like I said, you know, this is probably a place not a lot of people have traveled, so... You have a country that was ravaged by the Khmer Rouge. Everything was basically uh, to ruins here in the capital. And, and you had a lot of people that were kind of left to their own devices to build it back up. Um, and now we, we have this rapid development from outside foreigners, um, camp, uh, Chinese, Koreans, Japanese, India, U.S., you, know, you name it. Someone's building a, a business here. Um, some are small, some are large. Um, but, you know, what is going to be the remaining element that kind of uh, is like a fabric or a thread that ties it all together. Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting time in Cambodia right now. Um, I think because on the one hand, you've got this sort of just 
uh, unrelenting uh, sort of hyper-development where just there's very little restriction on what you can and can't do. Buildings are just being put up at like a breakneck pace. Um, yeah, are they even safe? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, uh, luckily it doesn't seem like there's been too many sort of like building collapses or anything like that, but I mean, yeah, I would certainly... I'm, I'm sure that the, the safety review sort of processes here for, for the structural integrity in buildings is probably not as good as it could be, or at least maybe not as um, sort of uh, restrictive as it could be. But, um, but then on the other hand, so, so you've got this sort of hyper-development, uh, but then you've also got this massive sort of um, surge or sort of demographic bubble of young people sort of in their mid-20s coming through, and these people are <clears throat> essentially the first large generation of people post-Khmer Rouge. Um, and they're a very different sort of group. You know, they haven't gone through a genocide. Uh, they've grown up um, largely with sort of access to the internet and, and sort of outside influences. Um, so they tend to be a lot more progressive, a lot more sort of interested in, in sort of new ideas. Um, so in some ways, you know, I, I, I guess I see a lot of negative trends in terms of where Cambodia is going. Um, particularly just, just, just the lack of an overall sort of vision for the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you do have a lot of individuals, you know, just young creative people coming up and starting to express themselves, starting to, you know, occupy places in the government, starting to get involved in sort of the NGO sector and, and even the business sector. You see a lot of creative businesses, a lot of, um, yeah, just interesting movements. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to say. You know, uh, you've also got this really sort of volatile political situation where the government sort of seems to flirt with, you know, between somewhere between democracy and, and sort of authoritarianism and sort of pushing the bounds in both directions. Um, and so, you know, it's very hard to predict, you know, how stable things will be in, in 10 years. Um, yeah, to me, I mean, I, I really don't have the answers. I wish I did. Uh, but, like, I think there's, there's just this sort of interesting uh, confluence of, of unique circumstances right now that I think will definitely, like, change and shape Cambodia in a really profound way over the next sort of 10 years. Yeah. Do you find, so, like, I haven't been back in three years, but things have definitely changed a lot. I mean, I remember when I first met Peep, uh, you know, he, him and Tones and maybe, like, three other four people were the only graffiti artists or street mm. artists. And now they've gone from street artists to gallery artists in a short, you know, amount of time. And I, I mean, there weren't even galleries in Phnom Penh, and now there are like, kind of a few legitimate art galleries that are showing things more than just, you know, pictures of Angkor Wat and stuff like that. And and then you have young filmmakers um, like Davy Cho who come from Paris, but now have kind of made Phnom Penh home um, and try to teach new film culture um, to Cambodians when this was a culture rich in film, you know, mm-hmm. historically. And then people like you who are kind of tight making, I think someone like you really makes the a lot of the expats here think become a little bit more culturally sensitive, um, where it's not a place where you can just open a business really cheaply, you know, kind of integrate yourself a little bit with your community, but you're kind of here, you know to do that and then through time maybe you kind of become more and more involved and I think um, especially the kind of the group that we saw that you brought together when we did our promotion at Raffles was so diverse but very like a very a group that's very sensitive to what's happening here mm-hmm. um, but um, yeah I think it's you know it's going to be an interesting challenge to see what is going to what I mean in, 
three years here seems like ten years of development somewhere yeah. else, you know? Yeah. And <clears throat> I mean I haven't seen a good looking building in the last two weeks, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, there are there are, you know, some some little bright spots. Um, sort of usually small businesses or, or sort of um, definitely the sort of the hotel space is sort of creating some interesting spaces. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, th- I think there are a lot of young Cambodian architects looking for an opportunity to do thoughtful, thoughtful d- design, basically. Um, but the budgets here are basically sort of oriented around very quick turnaround and sort of copying styles that have been done, done already. already. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you um, see a lot of... Uh, in some of the fun about being here is seeing all the new things, mm-hmm. and usually it's just nice to see nice things here, mm-hmm. whether or not they're... <clears throat> pretty close to stuff that already exists back at, in the United States or in <laughs> Europe. Um, but I think that kind of, that definitely is a very Cambodian thing that still will need some development. And, you know, you drive down the street and you got like five sticky rice vendors and then five durian vendors <laughs> and then 10 shops selling motorbikes. And then, you know, and that's a very Cambodian thing where it's like they, they kind of take that first step into kind of being independent. Um, but you know they still they're still not ready to go two or three steps where they can kind of fully kind of take that leap into developing something that is completely uniquely their own yet I think right yeah yeah I mean I, I think sometimes sometimes it's it's not that they don't want to do those things they're like, still learning well and and but I mean even like with with architects I think there's there's quite a few talented architects in Cambodia but like I said like they might they might only be offered jobs where they have, you know, a week to turn something around and the person wants, like, the person building the house wants a design that's already derivative, you know, so it's yeah. like, there's, there's a lot of people, I think now you have this sort of situation where there are, there are people who want to do sort of original, unique, creative uh, projects, and it's just sort of finding the support Fine. for those projects yeah. and, and, you know, having, especially in the architectural space, just, yeah, having people who want something that isn't you know, a copy of something in Singapore or a copy of something in the U.S. and Yeah, um, yeah sort of really just do original work, basically. All right, so we're just going to do some quick fire, uh, rapid-fire questions. I really appreciate <laughs> your time. These are going to be easy, kind of like fun post-interview questions, mm. hopefully. Um, so your favorite, uh, your favorite space in Cambodia? Uh, National Stadium at Sunset. Okay. And then your favorite kind of gathering place with friends mm, eating sharing soup with a bunch of sharing Cambodian soup around a table with a bunch of uh, Cambodians and expat friends nice and what kind of soup uh, it's like a sour um, sour fish soup basically. Okay. a lot yeah. of lemongrass citrus yeah. and uh, river fish basically. I like it uh, your favorite western space uh, probably um, that's a good question maybe the Basak Lane, 308, bar scene. <laughs> nice. And then, um, uh, shout out to one person here doing something interesting that doesn't get enough credit. Hmm. Well, I'd say, um, Panya Sarai, who's the Cambodian architect who's been leading the, Cam- uh, the Van Moly Van project here in Phnom Penh. Mm-hmm. They've just done an amazing job over the last, uh, 10 years basically reverse engineering Van Molyvan's buildings to redraw all the blueprints that were destroyed during the Khmer Rouge era. Amazing. So, yeah, I mean, they, you know, I made a film, these guys, you know, 
painstakingly mapped out every inch of every building that Van Mulyvans uh, built. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a major major accomplishment, and uh, definitely want to give a shout out to Panya. All right, cool. All right, well, thank you very much, Christopher. I really appreciate it. Uh, I knew that I kind of didn't give you much heads up what any of this was to be about, but that's typically my style. Yeah, yeah, and cool. I, and I hope you <laughs> enjoyed your time here with us. Yeah, no, it's been great. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. We talk about food.